This is 51st Dates, and I'm your host, Jolie Moore. They say that hindsight is 2020. I decided to find out if that's true. Every week, I'm going to read a chapter from my memoir, 51st Dates, then give you the backstory and commentary on what really went down. It's been two whole years since I went on these dates, and I'll be experiencing them along with you as I read. We'll find out together if my future self learned anything. I don't know if I have anything figured out, but at least we'll share some laughs along the way. Dating in Southern California is nothing if not entertaining. Ready? Strap in. Let's go. Hi, this is Jolie Moore. Welcome to 51st Dates, episode 32. I am... Well, I skipped a week of recording, although I do record it slightly in advance, so there's no delay on the podcast upload. I'm a little anal like that. Um, Actually, I was thinking about a lot of things. I'm ahead in books. (laughs) I'm always well ahead. Procrastination drives me nuts. It's been a hard week. I don't know. Um, I was actually in the car the other day, uh, driving my son somewhere, and he was like just... I don't know, be bopping in the back seat to music or who knows what. And he was like, oh, you know, mommy, I love you. And I was like, why? I don't know why I asked that. Because I was making a left turn in Hollywood. And he was like, oh, because you're just so lovable. And I had to like pull down my sunglasses and try not to cry in the front seat while uh, navigating LA traffic because it was the first time in my life that anybody had ever said I was lovable. And that lack or um, sort of lack of validation of my worthiness really sort of hit me in the gut. Um, It's not that I think that people walk around telling their children they're lovable. Maybe they do. Um, That'd be a great practice. But it was so much that everybody in my life up until uh, my son spent a lot of time nitpicking all the reasons I was unlovable. Um, There was so much conversation about how I was just so difficult. I was a difficult child. I was a difficult wife. I was difficult to live with. Um, I was a difficult friend. And I don't think that's true. I mean, I'm raising a child who's slightly more energetic than I was. but I think that he pretty much exists at the level of difficulty that I did. Um, he minds his own business. He doesn't cause trouble in school. He doesn't um, muck around the house much. He doesn't like set things on fire. I don't know, run out in the street. I mean, he's really well behaved. And um, I think I was a really well behaved child. I mean, I never did anything wrong. I read a lot of books and sat in the corner quietly. Um, I, God knows, I never really did anything that was even like remotely reckless, probably not until past my 20s. Um, and yet my mother made this video years ago. My ex was all into these videos of our family. And so he made these videos of my mother, his mother and his um, father. And what was um, universal about the videos was that they were just like straight up lying about like tons of things. But they also were fairly truthful about things that I think were somewhat hurtful. Um, So my mother was talking about how difficult it was to be a parent 
um, how difficult I was to parent. Um, that's part of the reason that she had a drinking problem, according to her. And um, then she goes on to say, like somewhere in the video, that I, she, she didn't imagine. She the reason that she pushed me in school was because no one would love me if I didn't finish graduate school. I mean, talking about some like high high bar for like love and worthiness. Um, in my family, it was you got to finish graduate school. Um, but she literally said that. And I don't know if she'd ever said that explicitly before, but I certainly felt that. I felt that I was constantly hustling for worthiness um, and attention and belonging. And apparently, if graduate school was the bar to clear, and I didn't graduate from um, graduate school until I was 24 or 25, then um, I had a lot of hurdles to jump just to get and receive love. And that's like a little bit crazy. But I've just been noticing that it's one of the things that I think I'm sort of exhausted with in my life is that I feel like I spend a lot of time trying to convince people to love me. And maybe it's not people, maybe it's just men. Um, My friends love me, my child loves me, my ex said he did, but I don't think that abuse is love. But I just, um, I, I just, it's just, I think this whole dating thing was just like this sort of like seeking out like attention or love or adoration. Um, as you guys know, I did the Gumball Love podcast um, a few weeks back, and she talks a lot about uh, attention seeking men. But the reason that I was, am, attracted to those kinds of men is because I'm that person myself. I think the reason I went on dating apps was certainly not to find love, but to get attention and validation, validation of my worthiness, validation of me being lovable, pretty, smart, you know, whatever, sexy enough, all of those things. And I don't remember like specifically thinking that, but in the back of my mind now, especially looking backward, I can see that that's what I was looking for. And um, given my method of choosing, I didn't find it. Um, all I found were people who, for whom I wasn't enough or for whom they couldn't show up, step up, stand up, dress up, any of those things uh, for me. And the reason the week has been hard is because um, in my head, um, I've broken up with this last uh, guy um, because he's just like flaked out. Um, Even after promising he wouldn't flake out, he completely flaked out. And um, I just haven't had the conversation with him yet. Um, Okay, so 50% of me is like, I should call him up and have this conversation. Um, especially, you know, being out of town and all that. And the other part of me is like, you know what? I'm taking no for an answer. He's walked away. You know, if he never calls me again, then I guess that was the end of the relationship. And, um, or the third choice is I can send him this Dear John letter that I wrote, you know. And the letter is so weird in the sense that I believe Okay, so the reason I wrote the letter, I can't believe I'm saying this, is because I want to assure him that that he's worthy of love and that he's lovable and he's delightful. 
Um, and it's just that his behavior toward me is such that I can't spend time with him anymore. But I was thinking, so I haven't sent that letter. I wrote the letter probably two, three weeks ago at this point, maybe longer. And all I can think is, I don't think I wrote the letter for him. Maybe I wrote the letter for myself because I keep wanting to like call him and tell him, you're great, you're worthy, you're this, you're that. Um, and his behavior is certainly not great. It's very shitty. Um, and the way he treats me is not great. And yet I still have this like great compulsion to assure him that he's fine. Um, I don't know. It's so hard because I keep reading these books that suggest that other people, the way they treat you is really a projection of how they feel about themselves. And if that's true, then uh, is the way I'm treating them a projection of how I feel about myself or maybe... I can't decide. So clearly I feel like unlovable and unworthy and therefore I'm inviting people in my life who can't love me and find me unworthy. That's so crazy that I can't even with it. I can't think about it that way. Um, even though it may be true, that's one of the hardest sort of um, thoughts to contain in my head that I am inviting people into my life to validate my belief that I'm unlovable and unworthy. And only do I feel comfortable when they validate it, which is odd because, you know, I'm sitting here like on any given weekend being like, is he going to call or whatever? Or am I going to see him or whatever it is? And when he texts or calls or gives me the attention that I'm seeking, then I feel validated. But he's so inconsistent that I know I knew going in, getting back involved with him. Um that the behavior was going to be the same. And I can't figure out like how big a hole must I have that, you know, I'm willing to accept these like little like breadcrumbs or drips or whatever of affection rather than having like a relationship with a person who's living wholeheartedly. Um, and I don't even know how to seek that. So I, (laughs) I've been all alone for like three weeks or so, and it's been hard and part of me is like, okay, so this is the one guy. The, this is the second, the last guy. But really, for real, for real, for real, the last guy I sort of want to not see. But I, I because he's like the one left, I'm thinking. And I know if I so much as like put my finger like in the air, he'll, he'll be there. But in the same half-hearted, half-assed way that all the rest of these guys were. And subjecting myself to more of that doesn't seem like a good idea. And on the other hand, you're like, ooh, human connection and belonging and sex and whatever. And it feels compelling. But it'll only temporarily fill the hole. It's like eating cookies. And then I'll feel bad later. Well, maybe not so bad, to to be frank. Um, Not bad about the act itself or like seeing him. Bad about taking crumbs again as something more than it is um so i don't know how to quit all of them but i do have a plan to um but i also don't know how to seek what i want you know so dating advice is all over the place um but all these sources that i think i trust suggest that a hiatus would be good to get yourself together or get myself together. Um, but part of me knows that the healing would have to be done in relationship. 
but I just don't want to bring like a whole crap ton of baggage <laughs> to yet another relationship. And I don't know how to be like vulnerable um, and wholehearted if um, my fear of abandonment and shame and all that shit is triggered by just the idea of a relationship. So in my head, the magic now is, or the silver bullet is, if I just meet a guy who consistently shows interest, who's really interested in me, and not crazy. Um, so not crazy in the, like, I love bomb you, I want to move in in two weeks kind of way, but also not um, one of these breadcrumbing guys, then I would be able to sort of be vulnerable and have it be okay, and then be able to, like, have a deeper relationship but it's been a long life so far and I've never had that so I can't even imagine what that would be I literally have no idea so with that I'm going to sign off I don't know if I'm going to figure it out I don't know how much journaling there is um, that would help me figure it out but I'm not there yet Chapter 31, The Surrendered Single, August 4. Based on the advice of those dating books and podcasts, I updated my online profile pic on Tinder, OkCupid, and Bumble to be a smiling picture. It was dead serious before, which I thought was sexier. So I wake up to a notification on Tinder, and you guessed it, Classic Car Guy has also updated his pic eight hours later. Eight hours and seven minutes later, I should add. He hadn't updated it after I met him. Don't ask me how I know that. I know I should unmatch. Let's just say that I'm proud I didn't click the green heart next to the picture or message him. See, I have restraint. In answer to your question, yes, he looks hot in the picture. Yes, I'm super judgy about the fact that he posted pictures where he's wearing what we Americans affectionately call a wife beater, a white tank top. No, he didn't update his profile from no drama, no issues to heaps and buckets of drama and I will stand you up. Though he has been married three times, so maybe I'm the only person who's been set up. Because that last entry was so short, for the first time ever, I'm going to read two chapters in a row uh, because they dovetail nicely. Chapter 32, The HIV Test, August 14. The best part of listening to podcasts on dating is I've learned a ton. A year ago, a friend sent me a box of books on dating. I stacked them on a bookcase, unread, and immediately moved on to downloading dating apps. I'm not in West Hollywood, so I can't say if the books are any good. What has been informative and probably life-changing are podcasts. All the hand-wringing and brain space I've wasted on dating could have been saved if I'd just known a little bit of the knowledge from the first 10 hours I listened to the first thing in the morning the last couple of weeks. Have you heard of breadcrumbing or e-chathering? Nope. Me either until last week. Apparently that's what Classic Card Guy did. It's a thing, his particular pathology. Guy comes on strong, says wonderful things to you, strokes your ego, has sex with you early in the relationship, disappears, then reappears, then disappears, but can't make plans. It has a name or many names starting with emotional unavailability and ending with e-chathering. Guys do it to keep you on the hook, maybe while they're doing it to someone else, maybe not, who knows. I can't believe I didn't Google this before. If I'd known the term, I'd have saved myself hours of worrying. The second lesson, 
There's nothing to be won by being the cool girl, the girl who doesn't want to be too needy, have too much drama, require any kind of respectful treatment. Apparently, there's nothing to be gained from being the cool girl. Except guys who won't respect your time, won't respect you. So I'm done being the cool girl. I might miss her a little bit, though. This revelation came on the heels of the worst case of hives I've ever had. My first weeks of the summer, I had swollen lymph nodes that wouldn't go away, then the allergic reaction. Started as a small rash, then turned into hives everywhere. Itchy, bumpy hives. Google is not your friend. I spent too much time in between writing chapters googling lymph nodes and hives. Those were two of the 9,000 symptoms of HIV. That's when I started worrying. In my cool girl mode, I'd been sporadic with condoms with classic car guy, plus the single time with Thunderbolt, though I believed him when he said he was clean. God knows I know better, but I did it anyway. Because you know, cool girls with little self-respect and less self-esteem roll like that. While I was in between doctor's appointments where all the medical professionals seemed stumped by my hives, I googled anonymous HIV testing. I ran to the doctor after the first time I slept with classic car guy because I never suspected I'd repeat the mistake. All my tests came back clean, but that was only a week or two after the exposure. After discovering that the virus isn't active until one or two months after exposure, I realized that I hadn't waited long enough. So I took my Google Foo and used it to find an anonymous and free testing center on the other side of town. Took the bus for 45 minutes and got in line. You can only imagine the instant camaraderie of standing in a line of people who are getting anonymous STD testing. We bonded. We waited. I got testing. They have a fast test. They prick your finger, put your blood on a stick, and like a pregnancy test, it gives you the results in 20 minutes. I made a promise to myself on the ride over to the testing office. If I was negative, I'd immediately unmatch from classic car again on Tinder, and I'd delete him from my phone. I pulled a number at the center. As soon as it opened, I was A82, number five in line. I watched a really handsome guy with piercing blue eyes go in first. He didn't look happy. Then two teenage girls, who were up way too early for the amount of mascara they were sporting, went next. Then the technician called A81. He was long gone. Happens all the time, the technician said. He pointed at me in my little number slip. You're next. He gave an explanation of the anonymous nature of the test, asked me where I was born and my year of birth, for statistical purposes, also to give me a nickname. Then I went back into a second room where a very cheerful guy with socks and sandals asked me about my job. I told him I wrote romance, then he pricked my finger, took blood, and put it on the test strip, gave me a note with my time to return, and the next person went in. During that 20-minute wait, I tried to show myself compassion. But there was a bit of self-flagellation thrown in. How could I have been so cavalier about my health when I have a nine-year-old child who will need me at least another nine years, if not a whole lot more? While I was waiting, my phone pinged. My summer friends with benefits, the sociologist, said he'd like to come by that afternoon. Normally, that would have made me smile. But hives, combined with sitting in a free clinic, that was anything but a turn-on. I didn't respond and crossed my fingers, hoping he was too busy with work. 20 minutes later, they called the first three people in. They didn't seem devastated, so I'm guessing they were negative. I wanted to continue that streak. The clinician called me over to look at the test. The control line was there, but the positive line wasn't. I dodged the hell of a bullet with some dignity, self-esteem, and self-regard intact. I'm not 100% sure what that will mean when I go back to West Hollywood, but for sure it won't look like the last few months.
So I've been summering in the same place for nine years, I think, and uh, <laughs> I'd never been to that part of town. Certainly, actually, I think I had once, but certainly not um, in some tiny little clinic on a side street for an HIV test. Um, and uh, now I wonder where it is. I mean, I can vaguely see it, um, but who knows? It was, it was early morning. Um, I went there as soon as the doors opened, um, which is why we were all standing outside. I think the doors opened at, let's say, 9 a.m., and, you know, I was there at, like, 8.45, and I was fifth in line, um, ultimately fourth, because the guy who was fourth disappeared. I can only imagine the anxiety that would have you, like, up and uh, run away in, at a HIV uh, quick test clinic. God save us all. So, um... I've forgotten about that. I would like to say that I have been far more circumspect since. What's interesting to me is, like, I can't imagine how men, like, over 30 or over 40 don't seem to understand where babies come from. I have never met a crop of people more unconcerned with pregnancy or disease. I mean... It's like, I mean, look, we're like in COVID times and people are like, I wonder how disease spreads. And, you know, if there weren't COVID, we would maybe be talking about the huge resurgence and uh, prevalence of STDs in many populations where it's unnecessary since we have all the information necessary to prevent the spread. But it is like literally something else. Um so two years, two years. Um, summer guy's the same. The sociologist is fine. Although I will say um, he's cute and all that. He's really kind of funny. Um, and he's like, you know, adulting. He's uh, about to do his uh, thesis defense for his dissertation, which in the time since I last saw him, thanks COVID, he wrote his um, thesis and has been diligently working toward actually finishing his PhD. But um, it's, it's, what do I want to say? I, going forward, will certainly not behave as I had in the past. You know, it's, I guess, you know, being a child who did not rebel, I was not a teenager who went out on many dates or went out a lot. And um, so let's just say I was extremely well behaved, but all the crazy behavior that I didn't exhibit when I was a teenager, apparently now was the time to exhibit it or then in 2019 with, you know, too many rando guys and just like, too much behavior that I'd sort of always wanted to indulge in, but there was never time because I was busy being a diligent college student or a diligent graduate student and then a diligent wife. Um, uh, but, you know, how much time do you need to do any of that? And then you wake up and it's like, I woke up this summer actually after the sociologist um, texted me like the moment I landed. And I thought to myself, and I saw him like the first week or two I was here and um, I was talking to a friend and I was like I just am not into this anymore um, and she's like maybe you've outgrown it and I I was starting to think that maybe I have like he's fun he's nice he's actually not an asshole um, <laughs> I hear myself because it's like he's not an asshole um, but he's also not available like he's unavailable 
for any number of reasons. He wants to like move to a different country or get his career started or I don't know what he wants to do, but what he doesn't want to do is be in a relationship, which is fine. Um, and I do, um, not with him because I'm not interested in a long distance relationship, but, but we can be friends. I mean, he's, he's really cool. He's cool as shit. But what the thing is, is that I just am not that interested in sort of like, let's go out and have a date and then have a little fun and then go home. It's starting to feel a little empty and I, so I'm not against like casual sex or one night stands or any of that. But I think what I don't like anymore is the emptiness. I want sort of a fulfilling long-term back and forth relationship with somebody who's available for that and who actually wants that with me. And that's huge. And how I go about it, I don't know. So to be honest, I'm like sort of at the place where, you know, I, I don't know, I spent the last few days like going to museums and starting a new book and um, thinking that between my son and life and all the stuff I do, like it's pretty fulfilling and actually kind of busy. And um, I bought a lot of plane tickets. So I think I'm going to be traveling a lot over the next six months. And right now that feels like enough. Would I like to have a companion to enjoy that with? Yes. Would I like to have any of these guys be the companion I enjoy that with? Except for one, not really. And unless I can find a person who is confident and happy with the life that they have, I don't know if I want to spend any more time with half-assed, low-confidence guys. So, live and learn, I guess. Live and learn. I'm Jolie Moore, and this has been 51st Dates, the podcast. If you enjoyed listening, I hope you'll share, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts. It will help others find the craziness that is dating in Southern California. Also, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. If you'd like to read ahead, my memoir, 51st Dates, is available wherever books are sold. A link is always included in the show notes. I'm also a romance writer. If you want to know more about my books, please visit joliemore.com for more information. You can also follow me on Instagram at xojoliemore and on all social media at the same handle, xojoliemore. Thanks for listening, and I'll be in your ears next week. <laughs>